0: Julian. Lauren. Julian, if Google makes gobs of money off of advertising, why does it bother making phones?
1: It wants to be Apple.
0: That's a good one. Wait, should I Google that? Does Google want to be Apple? All right, we're going to talk about that on the show this week. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. My usual co-host, Michael Clory, is out this week. Hopefully, he's getting some rest and relaxation. But luckily, we have Wired Senior Associate Editor Julian Chikatu to fill his place. I said that this was going to become the Julian Show at some point. I feel even more emboldened by this statement now. Hey, Julian, thanks for joining me.
1: Hello. Happy to be here.
0: So Julian, we talk about tech events a lot on this show, although of course in 2020 they've changed and we're no longer traveling to report on the ground, we're reporting in our jammies. But for the past three weeks, we've seen hardware announcements from Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and there's been a lot of emphasis on gadgets and services for the home. And I think maybe the most noteworthy example is Amazon's flying home security drone, which we're gonna talk about. But this all raises the question, right, of why do these tech companies want to literally be hovering in our homes? In some ways, they're using the pandemic as part of their marketing, right? We're all home, so you need this tech. But it's also another way, of course, to learn more about us as, quote, unquote, users. Yes, I just watched The Social Dilemma. We're all users. As you share more and more of your personal data with these companies. So let's talk about Google first, because that was just this past Wednesday. Julian, what were some of the announcements that stood out to you?
1: The two big ones, of course, that everyone usually tune into to Google for are its Pixel phones. And this time they're doing something a little different. Uh, instead of a Pixel and a Pixel XL version, this year we got a Pixel 4a 5G and a Pixel 5. So if you haven't been keeping up with Pixel phones, there was a Pixel 4a that they announced in August, which usually would have happened in May. Basically, everything got pushed around, and so it kind of threw their entire product line into a wrench, and now we're stuck with a Slightly different version of that Pixel 4a that came out in August and the new next generation Pixel 5 But it's all kind of weird and confusing because the Pixel 4a 5G is kind of similar to the Pixel 5 Anyway, all in all the, (laughs) the most interesting tidbit out of that is that Google is not using the big flagship processor For the Pixel 5 it's using a Snapdragon 765 chipset, which is kind of a mid-range chip. And this is sort of signaling that, hey, we're not going to make flagship thousand dollar phones anymore, or at least not this year. We're going to make a more affordable phone. And this phone is indeed a little cheaper than last year's Pixel 4. It starts at $699. So it's about $100 less. And so that's sort of, you know, that was the big Pixel phone announcement. Uh, It's a pretty... I'd say bare bones phone in terms of the feature set that it has. There are a couple new software features, some improvements to the camera software, but otherwise nothing too crazy or nothing that rocks the boat. Unlike many of the other phones we saw this year.
0: Yeah. It's perhaps unsurprising both that the cameras might be some of the best elements of these phones because pixel phones do have reputations for having fantastic cameras. And also that Google got a little weird with its naming convention. I mean, these phones are actually like the Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 5 5G. (laughs) They just didn't want to call the Pixel 5 5G. Right.
1: I mean, they could have done Pixel 5G, but I feel like that also would have been very confusing.
0: <laughs> well, it, is it all Pixel fives are 5G phones?
1: Yes. So that's the other big thing, I guess. You know, uh, 5G is a thing. This is these are the first Pixel phones with 5G. 5G is the next gen uh, networking technology that's following uh, 4G LTE. But the problem is, you know, as much as as many of the Android phones that are coming out these days that have 5G support, it doesn't really matter yet because chances are you probably can't access 5G anywhere in the U.S. I mean, there are slivers of tiny pockets of cities where you can go outside with your phone and you might be able to connect to 5G. And sometimes it will give you definitely a lot faster speeds than 4G LTE. But for the most part, most people aren't going to be using 5G constantly the way they are using 4G LTE for maybe another year or two. I'd say maybe even more than that.
0: And there were two other gadgets from Google announced this week. One is a smart speaker. The other is something for your TV. Talk about these. Yeah.
1: yeah, so the, the Chromecast with Google TV, this one's I think the more interesting one of the lot because they had Google has this thing called Android TV. It bundles it into TVs that other manufacturers make and sell. And that's just sort of a software interface for TVs. And the Chromecast, as a lot of people might know, was this cheap dongle that you just plug into your smart or dumb TV. And it just gives you the ability to cast content from your phone straight to the TV. So you can just cast a Netflix video, no need to use a remote or anything like that. Now it's bringing that Android TV layer, which it's now rebranding, I should say rebranding because it originally was called Google TV.
0: Oh, yeah. Back in like 2010.
1: Yeah. Then they changed it to Android TV and now it's Google TV again. So so they're actually going to phase out Android TV over the next two years and completely just change it over to Google TV. It's just like, I feel like every year they just hire someone new and it's like, I, I want to change it back or they, they just got to get it together. But so basically it's Google TV and you get an interface much like, you know, a Fire Stick or, or a Roku and you have a remote. So you can actually use that remote to talk to an assistant and control certain things or just you can also still cast content from your phone if you want to do it that way. And I think it's around 50 bucks and you can buy it right now. Uh, and the other thing was the Nest audio speaker. It's kind of a replacing the original Google Home that came out. Uh, basically kind of looks like the Google Home Max that they announced a few years ago, but mm-hmm. it's a lot smaller. And it's just, you know, a, a smart speaker that does what all other smart speakers do. It plays music pretty well and it lets you talk to Google Assistant and ask for the weather and all sorts of things like that.
0: Julian the Google Assistant is something that I think ties a lot of these products together and I think it's in literally every single one of the products that they announced earlier this week. But we didn't hear about too many updates to Assistant this week. Like I remember back at IO a couple of years ago, the stuff that Google was showing off with regards to its artificial intelligence was mind-blowing, right? Like it's going to make a reservation for you and then last year we heard about how it's going to effectively like block spam calls for you and do all this crazy stuff. And there's a little bit of that this week, but not a whole lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you go back to last year's announcement, Pixel 4, it was basically the announcement of that next-gen Google Assistant, which was you know gonna be a lot faster responding to you. And fast forward a year later, and I feel like they they didn't even touch about that. They didn't talk about anything related to that. It really boiled down to one of the bigger announcements with Assistant-related stuff was uh, Hold For Me, which is a new feature in the Pixel phone specifically. And it basically allows you to use Google Assistant to, be on the call while someone puts you on hold. So you don't need to listen to that elevator music anymore. You can just sort of put the phone down, assistant will sort of be in your place. And then when the person on the other end comes back, it'll give you a ping or something uh, alerting you to the fact that, hey, you should pick up your phone now. Um, but you know that that as exciting and as cool as that sounds, because who wants to listen to the same song over and over again for two hours? That, seems kind of small compared to stuff that we've seen in past years. And and it just is a very weird difference from last year where it was, you know, assistant everywhere to this year where it felt more like they were focusing a little more on the products rather than the software side of things. Mm -hmm. But Lauren, you've also been to, you know, so many Pixel events. What do you think that they should have announced or did you have something in mind that you really wanted to see that they have announced before or something you think that they should look at? Um, Is there something that you missed here?
0: Yeah, to me, I'm always keeping an ear out for what companies don't talk about at their events, because I think that tends to say a lot. In this case, I was listening to see if Google would say anything about wearables. They didn't. You might remember that Google acquired Fitbit about a year ago, but that's been undergoing some pretty intense regulatory scrutiny. So at the time of this taping, the deal had not been approved. And it feels like Google's in a bit of a holding pattern with consumer wearables while it figures out the Fitbit deal. Google will say, well, we have headphones, and so that's wearable, which is true. But I mean, in terms of something that goes on the wrist or is a health tracker or competes directly with Apple Watch, they haven't really said anything about that. They didn't say anything, of course, when they announced Nest Audio about the Sonos lawsuit that's ongoing. Um, Sonos alleges that Google has infringed on its patents for wireless audio. Google also didn't mention anything related to laptops or two-in-ones which is kind of surprised Julian, because you probably remember that in recent years they've put out um, pixel books and pixel slates and things like that. And we haven't heard anything about that. But I think in general, we're kind of at the point where with these tech product releases that even small things, they can be a big deal, right? I mean, all these products are internet connected. They're processing your data in some way. They connect to the cloud. And they kind of underpin the business models of these companies that are being scrutinized really closely right now. So even small products, you have to think about in the context of who it is that they're really serving.
1: Yeah, I'd say they're not as playful as in recent years, uh, especially when it comes to their phones. You know, you look at them and they're perfectly fine, solid, probably going to be our top picks, just like our pre- the previous Pixels. Um, but they're not weird or or even the colors aren't you know, bright or flashy like they used to be. So uh, definitely an understated year.
0: Not a very googly event, all things considered. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the drone that wants to fly inside your home. All right, we're back. And since we took a break, approximately seven more smart speakers have launched into the market. But really, before the Google event this week, there was last week's Amazon hardware event. Now, Amazon, for the past few years, has done this kind of rapid-fire deluge of hardware products each fall. And its strategy is a little bit similar to Google's, right? It wants to be inside your home in every element of your life. Uh, Julianne, give us a quick rundown of what Amazon announced at its event last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was the usual barrage of new Echo speakers. Uh, There's one with a screen now that sort of rotates to wherever you're facing in the room. There's a Ring car alarm. There's an Eero Wi-Fi 6 router. Uh, And also, there was a surprise announcement of a game streaming service called Luna, and it's very much like Google Stadia or Microsoft XCloud, which basically lets you, with a high speed internet connection, you can stream games from the cloud to your TV, phone, browser, just about anywhere. And it's basically, you know, Amazon diving into games more. They have their own game studio. They came out with a game recently and they're developing many more games. And of course they own Twitch. So this is a natural way to get all the millions of people that watch Twitch streams of other people playing games integrated into this game stream. So, as well.
0: And we have to talk about the drone. Now, the Mm -hmm. drone is part of Amazon's Ring brand. Amazon acquired Ring. Ring is known for its home security cameras. Um, It's a popular home security camera. Also a little bit controversial because Amazon has forged these partnerships with hundreds of law enforcement agencies around the country to share the video if customers agree or opt in to have their video clips shared with, like, say, the local police. And so some civil rights advocates and other organizations and even lawmakers have said that Amazon should stop this practice, but they continue. And uh, in the meantime, Amazon continues to ship products under the Ring brand. And this new drone is one of those. So it's called the, what is it? It's the Always On Cam. I think and it's, it's called a, the
1: Always... Always home of, cam? Always home cam. Yeah.
0: Always home cam. Not always not always on because that would be even creepier. And so it's docked, right, in your home. And when it's docked, um, there is a camera, but the camera is covered by the dock. And then you can program it so that if there's movement or some kind of activity in another room of the home, <laughs> the drone just kind of rises up out of its dock and flies to that part of your home and starts recording the incident, which in my conversation with Amazon hardware executive Dave Limp, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it could record something as benign as a raccoon <laughs> that's gotten in your house, um, which one of our editors actually had that happen in her house this week. I was like, that doesn't happen, does it? But then <laughs> it actually happened. Um, or it could be something more serious, such as an intruder in your home. Uh, Naturally and perhaps unsurprisingly, people reacted pretty strongly to this drone, myself included. My initial thought was, "Nope, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just don't want a drone flying around, flying around the house." Uh, but Julian, what did you think of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of this. Like, I, I understand some of the benefits. You know, I saw someone on Twitter saying, "What if, you know, you have." Old- old people in the home and you want to use something remotely to take care of them without having to configure a bunch of cameras and things like that. Sure. Makes sense. I guess. Uh, I just, I can't, you know, they, they kind of even touted this feature that like, hey, it makes the sound so you know that it's coming. So, you, you know, you can, I guess, be, be prepared to have this flying thing coming to your room. But it's still, that that freaks me out even more. Like, I just don't want to walk around or just I'm just hanging out. And suddenly this super loud buzzing sound like a murder hornet comes flying around <laughs> in my home. Like, that just would freak me out. Not to mention people have pets and and this thing is like either going to freak your dog out or your cat's going to destroy it in five seconds.
0: (laughs) How would your dog feel about this?
1: He would probably bark like crazy uh, and then bark even more and then go hide under the bed.
0: (laughs) Amazon would probably make the argument that that's the desired intention. (laughs) You'll know if someone's in the house because the dog is going to be barking at the drone, which is then going to be flying out of your bedroom into the living room or whatever it is. I just imagining like, imagine if if you have like teenagers who aren't coming downstairs for dinner and it's like, you just send the drone. Just, oh, it God. just hovers over them while they're, like, making TikToks or something. It's <laughs> like so you have to come <laughs> down to dinner. <laughs> I don't know. There's just so many, like, weird – it's a drone in your house. It's a drone inside your house that you have w- allowed into your home and you've programmed to do the thing that it's going to do. And Amazon <laughs> and Amazon is saying that it's private because <laughs> because its rotors make noise. Like, and because also when it's docked the dock happens to block the camera like that's not like privacy first design that's just the way the thing works but they're like don't worry those are the privacy features <laughs> I just, I, uh, well Amazon. And, and, and yeah
1: i mean you you that's a good point like at the end of the day you know it's they can say uh that they're you know clouds are secure and all that but it's still an internet connected product. And there have been a lot of ring breaches before. So you can imagine even being more terrified of having this moving camera <laughs> in your home that, you know, has still uh, nothing is it perfect. This thing could very well be hacked and someone could control the the drone in your home.
0: Yes. Yeah. Like just the other day, my Apple TV suddenly went on for no reason. I mean, I didn't I didn't turn it on and then a passcode appeared and so the only thing I could think of is that a neighbor who lives close enough was trying to cast from an iDevice to my Apple TV picked up on the wireless network somehow and was trying to like cast my TV and I was like Imagine now imagine if that happened, but instead of just your Apple TV turning on, it was a noisy drone flying around your living room. Like what the actual now I should say that initially I asked Amazon about the ring partnership and whether or not this always home drone camera if the, partner, the Ring partnership with law enforcement would extend to that camera? And they initially said yes, and then later on came back and emailed and said, actually, no, the drone is not going to be a part of that partnership program. So as I understand it right now, or whenever it launches later this year, uh, you will not have the option as a consumer to share those videos with law enforcement. Amazon also said that, now all Ring videos will be end-to-end encrypted by the fourth quarter of this year. So they are starting to take steps to make the footage that's captured on your Ring camera more private and more secure, which is good. <laughs> it's been a long time coming, and that's a good thing. Uh, but I think I think a lot of people are going to buy this drone like as a novelty, just to see what it's like. But I just have a hard time thinking that this would be this would be a real value add to your home
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's also like two hundred dollars or 250 or something like that it's it's expensive so it's not even a relatively affordable thing that amazon which is usually what it offers uh offering
0: right and part of their reasoning for making it was well for some people you if you you want a ring camera or some kind of security camera at home that you would normally put like in your windowsill or outside or wherever it is and maybe you want one in every room, but you can't afford to buy a $200 camera for every single room of your home. So instead you use the flying drone. Um, that still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I would still say probably just get a couple extra cameras if you can and <laughs> just, just use those. Uh, yeah. Okay, so drone aside, which is a nice little slice of our dystopian future, what stands out to me particularly when you look at the Google events and the Amazon events back to back, is how much it feels like their hardware strategies are starting to merge a little bit. I'm wondering if you agree with this, because when Google first announced the Pixel line, it had done the Nexus phones, which were like sort of cheaper mid-range phones. And then it said it was doing the Pixel. And then it made the Pixel really nice for a couple of years and was charging $800 for it. And the question was whether they were going to be able to compete with Apple in hardware. And now it seems like Google is scaling back a little bit and really going for either the middle of the market or even the low end of the market. I mean, the Chromecast, for example, it's still not as inexpensive as an Amazon Fire Stick or some of the, the Roku products, but it's only 50 bucks and it has a remote. Um, and Rick Osterloh from Google said, we don't think the world needs another thousand dollar phone right now. So I think Google is very clearly sort of putting its stake in like the mid-range market for phones.
1: Yeah, I think they're being a little smart about it because I think usually what people have always said historically about Pixel phones is that they're overpriced because, you know, you compare it to a Samsung, which is, you know, you can compare the specs to a fine degree and they're almost always way better of the Samsung even though at the end of the day you know they're pretty both good phones. Um, But you know Samsung pushes all this new hardware versus Google sort of sort of settles now and then and maybe doesn't include the best wi-fi chip or something like that Um, but it priced them very similarly to other flagships but now I think this price point is a lot more stomachable for a lot more people it kind of just makes sense with what they're offering um, but also, I've thought of Google hardware as sort of a reference for what everyone else does because, you know, I think Google's intention is still uh, very similar to its Nexus days in that it wants to produce something good that people can buy and use. But this is also pushing software that they're, you know, providing for so many thousands of other companies, whether it's a TV maker that's using the new Google TV or, you know, other Android makers that want to do their own thing. Like, this is the software that's powering it all. And I think this is a good way of Google saying, here, here's what you can do with Android 11, or here's what you can do with Google TV. Um, and then these other companies can sort of, you know, take it, add layers over it and improve it or uh, do their own thing and, and improve it in some other way.
0: Right. Like, they're, Amazon and Google have slightly different end goals, right? Which is that Amazon wants you to shop and buy more things, and it wants to use the data that it has to get you to shop more and buy more things. And Google sells ads, as we mentioned at the very top of the show, um, but it they're both using low-cost hardware as sort of delivery mechanisms for your data in order to accomplish those goals.
1: Yeah, compared to like Apple, who prides itself on not sharing your data at all, so it justifies the higher price for being able to secure your data in that way.
0: right. All right, Julian, one last question for you. Of all of the products that we've seen announced in the past few weeks, and you had to choose one product from each company, so that would be Apple, Amazon, Google, and then Microsoft, which we didn't really get to talk about much, but Microsoft put out the weird duo recently. Which of these would you choose?
1: Well, from Google, I'd probably pick the Chrome. Well, I actually did just buy the Chromecast because I've used a Chromecast all my life, and I feel like this would be cool to experience Chromecast with a remote and actually have an interface on my TV. Um, From Amazon, I feel like I'd want the drone just to see what it's like, but (laughs) I probably would regret it immediately and would go for something like the game streaming service. Uh, just because that's an interesting field that's kind of growing lately. Uh, And then from Microsoft, probably the Surface Duo. I didn't rate it too highly, and I feel like you know it had a lot of issues, but they're promising to improve it, and I just really liked Microsoft's approach there, and I think I I really liked the hardware. I just wish it wasn't as buggy. Uh, And I guess from Apple, I'd probably pick the iPad Air because that thing looks amazing.
0: Hmm. Oh, these are good choices. Okay.
1: What about you? What would you pick?
0: Okay. From Google, I agree with you on the Chromecast. Would definitely get the Chromecast primarily because it now has a remote. And I wish that I could use the Google Chromecast remote on my Apple TV. If that was possible, just throw the Apple TV remote out the window. (laughs) From Amazon, they didn't talk about this at the hardware event, but a couple weeks before they announced this super weird wearable called the Halo Band. And I'm intrigued enough by that that I would probably try that. Apple, I think I would try the Fitness Plus service when that launches. So not a piece of hardware, but a service because I, well, I don't know, like digital fitness stuff. And I think that would be fun to try out and see see if it's really a Peloton killer. And then Microsoft, I, I'm going to agree with you on that too. I would go with the Duo. Now, this is like, I wouldn't actually buy the Duo. I wouldn't actually spend $1,400 on it, but have this vision of owning the Duo and then Someday, many years from now, my grandkids will be going through my gadget library. And they'll be like, what's this, Grandma? (laughs) I'll be like, well, kids, back in the pandemic of 2020, (laughs) Microsoft put out a phone, but it's not a phone. Don't call it a phone. That's this bizarre oddity, a dual screen device with a giant hinge down the middle running Android and charged people $1,400 for it. And that was innovation in 2020. I just think it'd be hilarious. Um, it's just a weird thing that I like want to try. So yeah, that those are my those are my choices. So those are the things that we would buy. But we're gonna take a quick break, and we come back. We're gonna do recommendations of what we actually do own or are going to buy. Or just stay tuned. All right. Julian, what's your actual recommendation this week?
1: It's kind of hard to, it, it's basically building a PC, which is kind of a, a statement more than a product or something that to recommend there's no one component I can say that you should get we do have a recommendation on uh, wired.com of what you should what components that you might want to look into if you want to get started building your own pc but I recently built one for my girlfriend because she was using a laptop laptop she was having um, back pains and muscle pain because she was just basically craning her neck down all the time staring at this little thing that wasn't very powerful and me sitting with my giant desktop pc right next to her I was like you know what I should build her a PC too. Aww, so uh, that's love. I, <laughs> so, so I built her a PC, you know, and, and she definitely now has a dual monitor setup because it can power that kind of thing. And it just basically, it was a lot of fun building it. It was a lot of, uh, it was kind of cathartic and, and relaxing and it was just very nice overall. But I, I also understand that it, that's not gonna be the case for you because it can also feel very overwhelming and scary because these are computer computer components that can totally fry and burn if you do the wrong thing. Sorry, I hope I didn't scare you away, but basically just watch a video on YouTube or something, read our guide and and, and get into some PC building, it's, it's fun.
0: That's, I love that recommendation.
1: And what about you? What are you recommending?
0: Well, remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about bundles and we were saying, curse the bundle. Yes. Yes. Well, I have to admit something. So Apple TV Plus, it's a lot better than I expected. Oh, no. It's very good. If you are one of those people like me who recently bought Apple hardware and as a result, you got free access to Apple TV Plus because they're doing lots of promotions around it in the early days, then maybe check out the library if you are um, not going many places these days because of the pandemic and you're looking for things to watch. I'm also still watching Shit's Creek, which I love, but I recommended that a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, so yeah. All right. Well, Julian, thank you so much for joining me on this week's show. I think Mike, you know, we miss him and everything, but this has been really fun.
1: <laughs> this has been fun. Thank you so much for having me on as a co-host.
0: And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. We'll put our Twitter handles in the show notes and feel free to leave us a review as well. The show is produced by Boone Ashworth, who is going to make sense of this episode, and we're eternally grateful to him for that. And our executive producer is Alex Kaplman. Goodbye for now, and we'll be back next week.
1: Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here.